0: Welcome to It's Lit, where all things literary live at the Root. I'm Danielle Belton, the Root's editor-in-chief, here with the managing editor of The Glow Up, Maisha Kai. Hey. <laughs> hey there, Maisha. Hey. Today we have a very talented, multi-hyphenate guest on the show. She's award-winning author, journalist, and podcaster, Kenria Rankin. Kenrea is the author of five books, including How We Fight White Supremacy, A Field Guide to Black Resistance, and her most recent book, Anti-Racism, Powerful Voices, Inspiring Ideas. Her journalistic work has appeared in publications like Fast Company, Ebony, and Glamour, and she's also the founder and editorial director of the parenting blog, Black and Green Mama. She also co-hosts the Turn On podcast, a literary erotica podcast that explores the of having sex while Black alongside sex educator Erica Easter. She also has one
1: of the best voices in podcasting. And I say that as, you know, someone who thinks she has a pretty good voice. No, but, um, you know, I love a little bit of erotica. I also love what Kenrya has done with this book, which is actually the first in a series of books. And this is targeted actually towards the YA market. But I think this is one of those things that all of us can get into, all of us can, I think, use as like kind of a resource and inspiration. What she's done is really gathered together these quotes from amazing thinkers and, you know, people well-known and not so well-known, really just reflecting on what it means to not just be conscious of race in America, but to be actively anti-racist. And that's something that I think we are constantly focusing on, uh, well, I'd like to think we are <laughs> more and yes, more. Yes, most definitely. <laughs> I don't want it to be like Frederick Douglass, who's becoming more and more important. Although I think Frederick <laughs> Douglass is in this book. Um, <laughs> but, but no, I, I think, you know, as we talk about what comes next after addressing racism, it has to be really compelling people to be anti-racist. And she has such great insights on that. And she also has an essay that kicks a book off that's, I think, just worth everybody reading. But she has so much more to say, too.
0: Definitely, definitely, and I think our listeners are going to love Kenria as much as we did. So let's get to the interview. Let's do it.
2: Kenria, welcome to it's lit. Hey, thanks for having me, y'all. Artly.
0: <laughs> oh my God, we are always lit. We're really excited to talk about books. And literature and journalism with authors. That's our thing. And (laughs) we are excited to have you with us today.
2: Yay. I'm really excited to be here with y'all. Thanks for having me on.
0: Oh, we're excited. So you're a fellow journalist as well as an author. Mm -hmm. And we are so ready to dig into your newest book. But since It's Lit is a podcast about black books and writers, we like to start each episode by asking our guests to name at least one book. Or you if you can't if it's more than one, you can you can say two. But at least one book that you've considered life-changing, life-altering, the one that like inspired you like you had never been inspired. Yo,
2: so like I listened to the show, so I knew y'all were gonna ask me this. And it still didn't make it any easier. Oh, no.
1: <laughs> but thank you for listening. We do appreciate yeah. it. Yes. Thank you for listening. <laughs> like
2: this is like trying to pick one of your kids. Like that's right. I love books. They've been my friends since I was little. So I was like, okay, what do I do with this? And I decided that I would pick one from 2019, from like before the dumpster fire like kicked into high gear. So I think. I'm going to go with bossy Ickby's. I'm telling the truth, but I'm lying. Ooh, right. Bossy. Yeah. We love bossy. That's a good
1: one. Right? That's a really good one.
2: Like, yes. I just love what it surfaces about mental health and memory and relationships. But like not just relationships with other people, but relationships with ourselves. It's like vulnerable and lyrical in a way that like the books that I connect with the most are. I just loved it. Yeah, I think that's excellent.
0: Bossy is an incredible writer
2: Mm -hmm. and poet.
0: Just. Good choice. Good choice. So you've written five books to date. Yeah. But let's start with your most recent one, Words of Change, Anti-Racism, which has the distinct honor of being the first book in Spruce Books Words of Change series. Yeah. Which is intended for young adult readers and older. So how did this particular project come about?
2: It really fell into my lap. Um my publisher Sharon she read my last book uh, how we fight white supremacy which came out in 2019 and she emailed me and was like I have an idea. You know she's like I want you to do, I would love to do a book that celebrates anti-racist voices. And I was like yeah that sounds dope and I liked her and thought she'd be fun to write work with and that just kind of <laughs> And I was like, it's not a a normal trajectory. And definitely none of my other books fell into my lap. Those were full of proposals and all the other stuff. But this, there was no proposal. There was a phone call and then a connection to my agent and then a book. It was crazy.
0: That is incredible. So
2: this isn't your first book tailored to the young adult market, correct? Yeah, my very first book. That's crazy because nobody really knows that. Um, Look at you at Homework. (laughs) My first book is called Start It Up, uh, The Complete Teen Business Guide to Turning Your Passions into Pay. And it came out just before my daughter was born. So I was pregnant while I was like doing promo and all of that. And it's all about entrepreneurship and introducing young people um, to that concept. And it's pretty near and dear to my heart. It was fun. It's a good audience to write for.
0: You know, a lot of people sometimes we've talked about this on the show before, tend to disregard like young adult, you know, literature as somehow being less than. So I would like to hear from you why are you intrigued about writing for this specific age group? Like what do you enjoy about it?
2: Oh yeah, I heard that episode with Jason when he was like, nah, (laughs) son, like we the best. Um." (laughs) Exactly. I just you know, I think that young people can really understand big concepts in a way that we don't often give them credit for, right? Like, started Up is a, obviously a very different book from Anti-Racism, Powerful Voices, Inspiring Ideas, but they both start from the same place, which is that they can understand shit even that adults think is difficult. I think we just have to take the time to talk to them and give them context, and we also have to trust them with information. And I love the idea, especially as a mom, of writing books that catch people when they're still very much in formation and help them to kind of form the way that they view the world. I mean, if you're if you're doing it right and you're doing it in a way that is meant to to shore up their very young skills so that, you know, they're armed when they become adults. It feels pretty damn cool.
1: You know, I love that answer. Um, And I'm going to dig into it even a little further because, you know, the last time we spoke, and I love that you referenced this because you led me right into it. (laughs) It was spring of last year. So spring of 2019, you know, and you would just published How We Fight White Supremacy, which you Co-wrote and co-published and co-curated with one of your colleagues at Color Lines, Akiba yes, Solomon. Akiba. So shout out to Akiba. <laughs> <laughs> and that was an anthology of interviews and personal essays and more from not only the two of you, but like this bevy of incredible black voices that were both known and, and lesser known, you know, including like Tanahasi Coates and Tarana Burke, Elisa Garza, uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal, Henry- Harry Belafonte even our own Damon Young of VSB yes. was in that book. Shout out. Uh, and so many more people. And, you know, so obviously you, you have this proclivity for getting people to <laughs> participate. Um, I but don't I know, know why what, they
2: say yes, but I appreciate well, it. Well, they
1: did. And it's a marvelous book. <laughs> you know, you all were gracious enough to send it to me. I love it. I return to it again and again. But, uh, you know, that was something that involved obviously compiling thoughts from across like uh, leaders across the spectrum. And, This one, uh, even more so, except for you weren't actually recruiting people. You were kind of curating these quotes. So, like, do you mind, like, just kind of cluing us into the processes of building these books? Like, Was that similar this time around? Or if not, like, what was challenging? Like, what was distinctly (laughs) challenging about this as opposed to the last
2: one? Mm, That's a great question. So with anti-racism, it really was about the mix for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I wanted to make sure that we weren't just highlighting the words of the folks who we hear about every February, right? You got your MLKs, you got your Malcolm's. Like, we we know all of those folks and we know a lot of what they've said. But I wanted to make sure that we are celebrating the work of people who are doing it right now. Yeah, I wanted the young people and the old folks like me who read this book. To really be able to understand that there are people doing this work all around us and situated in the present. This is not a fight that is over. (laughs) Um, This is not a fight that's new, like some people think it is. Um, (laughs) But there, there are people who've been doing the work of securing our liberation each and every day. And so that was one of the important things for me. Um, Also, you know, there's a mix of younger folks and older folks because I want people, young people to see themselves and not think that this is only something they can do when they're grown. And then also, as a Black-ass person, it was important to me to center Black people. So we represent the bulk of the people who are quoted in the book. With how we fight, first of all, everybody is Black because... That's what that book is. It, you know, he and I like to say that it started in the middle of a Black-ass conversation. Like that book was about centering us and the work and our advocacy and our lives. So the selection process there was more like, you know, we had these different themes that we wanted to explore. The book is all about the ways that Black people resist and fight and dismantle white supremacy. And so we started with, okay... You know, who, what are the groups of people? What are the ways that we do this? And so like, there's a chapter on humor and the ways that we use that to fight. There's a chapter on love and loving ourselves whole in a world that tells us that we are not lovable. There's a chapter on organizing, right? And there's chapters on work and finance. And so after we got the categories down, then we did the work of figuring out who embodied those, who, you know, is a writer whose work really falls within that space um who is an activist who's doing work around you know financial services and ways that we're fighting by the ways that we spend our money. And so that really led the process and along the way we got some really fabulous people to say yes. You
1: know, obviously, you know, in these two most recent works, you know, obviously they're they target different demographics. Let's oh, yeah. just say that. I mean, I think that, you know, words of change, you could pick this up and, you know, I say this to somebody in my 40s now, it's like I I dig this book. (laughs) I dig them both for different reasons. But, you know, they do dovetail in many ways, as you pointed out. And would you also say, um, and I think you kind of alluded to this, but I'd love to hear more, like, would you say that it dovetails with your life's work? And how would you describe that
2: work at this point in your life? Yeah, I think that it does. I think Like, so first I look at the ways that those two books are in relationship with each other. Like, I think that anti-racism is kind of um, both the book and the concept is a kind of a subset of how we fight, right? So, you know, in anti-racism, I define white supremacy as a political, social, and economic system that thrives on the subjugation of people who've not been led into whiteness. And it really situates racism as just one of the isms and the obias that hold up this like stinking tent that makes up white supremacy. It's just one of those things. And so how we fight white supremacy is a larger conversation. And I think my book really, or my work really attaches to that because it's really about centering the lived experience, work, and advocacy of Black people. Like that's what I do all day. So that looks like writing books like these. It looks like um, I run an editorial consultancy, so I help nonprofits like better reach and better serve the people who they are supposed to be doing the work for. I co-host a Black literary erotica podcast called The Turn On, and that's all about like speaking to the fact that joy and pleasure are also important modes of resistance. You know, we live in this world that wants us to be joyless and sexless. And so all of those things come together to advance this narrative about, you know, the different ways that we are as Black people and how Blackness shows up and the fact that we are not solely defined by the things that people dislike about us and the the things that they attempt to do to us, that we are defined by who we are and what we do and who we love and how we love and all of those things.
0: So I was thinking, though, like with so many amazing people, like you have such an incredible roster of voices with words to change. You know, you've had Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and you had Ibram and just so many, ama- and you you reference and quote Ida B. Wells. Like, I, I sit there and just kind of like wonder, like, you know, how do you... I, How do you even pick? Like, there's
2: so many amazing people. Very (laughs) (laughs) difficult. How do you pick and prioritize? Man, so I am a person who loves spreadsheets. So like, I started by like just creating a spreadsheet and just listing out all the people whose voices I wanted to hear. It was way more. I think my charge was maybe 120 people to come up with or something like that. And I just made this long ass spreadsheet of people, 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 people. And then I started to look for the quotes. So some of them were things that just came that I just knew, right? Like some of the more common things. Some of them, it was actually more difficult than I thought it would be because while they have lots of wonderful quotes and have done a lot of work, they had to specifically be situated around the theme of anti-racism, which isn't the easiest thing to talk about. And so trying to find little bite-sized quotes was more challenging than I thought it was gonna be. So some of it was just like, Okay. Oh my God! I finally out of I read two hundred quotes by this person, and I found the one that feels perfect in this mix. (laughs) And then there were just different parts of that that I wanted to lift up, and different parts of the audience that I wanted to uh, to talk to. Right? Like, there's a quote that might you know resonate with a white child living in you know Cleveland that wouldn't resonate with my black child living here just outside of DC. And I wanted to make sure that everybody saw themselves. So uh, it just took a lot of work. I mean, it, and the work
1: is evident, you know, and, and then there's also, I mean, obviously this is all other, you know, the book itself is compiled of other people's voices, but you, you introduced this book with a really beautiful, brief, but beautiful essay about privilege. <laughs> and I love this part, uh, where you say, this fight requires more from us than simply saying, I love all people or working hard not to personally engage in racist acts. It requires us. You to actively engage, to use our privilege, to advocate for all, to be staunchly anti-racist. And you know, I think like, if I'm honest, I think, you know, black people, we know what <laughs> that means sometimes, so sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, I think it is an important distinction to make, especially for younger readers. So how would you define, you know, oh, I'm not racist versus being staunchly anti-racist? <laughs>
2: Yeah. Um, It's interesting because I think anti-racism is, um, it's a term that's specific and it's important, but it's not Mm -hmm. big enough, right? And like that comes back to that whole thing about the isms and the obias, like racism and ableism and homophobia and classism and transphobia and xenophobia and how all of those contribute to, you know, what white supremacy is. It was important to me to really situate this within a conversation about privilege because I think it can be really hard to see your privilege, right? And I'm not just talking about like white folks who have been walking around with their heads in the clouds and never had to really consider it. I think that when shit's fucked up, it can be hard to see that it's more fucked up for other people. (laughs) And I think part of doing this work is not, Necessarily, like not just being able to identify your privilege, but to be able to figure out how you can use it to help others, right? So, as a cis hat black woman, I know that I have privilege, that I enjoy privilege that my trans sisters don't have. Period. So, it's important to me to use my resources and my work in order to lift them up. And I think that we all need to come to this, or at least. My approach to this work is to understand where I am situated within that hierarchy about what oppressors are on my shoulders versus other people's shoulders and figure out how I can lift some of that burden off of them. And I wanted folks to come to this work with that understanding of where they're situated and how they can use that to the advantage of other people.
0: So though this book's overriding theme is anti-racism, I really like that you're talking about this broader discussion of privilege so why was it important for you to kind of, like, frame this discussion and talk t- about racism within that broader context
2: around privilege?
1: Right, because we have privilege, too, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so In fact that we're just sitting here having this conversation. <laughs> exactly.
2: Really and truly, I'm sitting here with my little light and my little computer and my little microphone, and that is not something that everybody has, a platform to be able to talk about stuff. Truly. Um, I think in this particular book that was important to me because, as you said, the audience is different than in my previous work. I typically write books, and the book that I'm working on now, like, it's for Black folks, it's from Black folks, and the audience for this book is is broader, and I think that I would be doing the readers a disservice, I'd be doing Black folks a disservice, I'd be doing myself a disservice. If I didn't take the time to help people situate themselves in that and understand that, you know, like I said, while anti-racism is an important concept, it's not the only one. And that we can't really fight white supremacy on only one front, Mm. right? Like I I have a lot of analogies for white supremacy, but one of them is (laughs) like... (laughs) An octopus with a whole bunch of arms, yo. Like you can't just cut one of them jumps off because another one is going to knock you in the back of the head. Like we got to get them all at the same time. And And I think they grow back. They do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's very much like a hydra. Exactly. (laughs) It's really, yeah. Yes.
2: So we got to fight on all the fronts at all the times. But And I think that that can sometimes sound overwhelming or feel overwhelming to folks. But that's one of the things I love most about how we fight is that it really pushes this idea that This is a collective thing, like every one step that you take, even if it doesn't feel like it, even if it felt like a baby step, even if it was just that you got out of bed this morning, because, you know, sometimes for Black folks, fighting back is getting up, right? That each one of those baby steps that we take pushes us closer to liberation collectively. And there's nothing that feels more reassuring to me or more reassuring to me than to know that we're doing it together.
1: You know, I I looked back at the uh, article we wrote about, you know, this is how we fight. And, and that was the key word that you used then. You talked about the we being so important. And I love that you just talked about this kind of multi-tentacled thing because I see you taking this kind of multi-pronged counterattack, right? I can't even call it a counterattack because it's so loving and it's so uh Aww. embracing. You know, so I have to double back to your podcast, actually. Uh The Turn On, we must uh, say that, you know, podcast to podcast, The yes. Turn On, which you co-host with uh, sex educator Erica Easter and has already been named one of the best sex, erotica, dating, and relationship podcasts by Mashable. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, yeah. You, now, you talked about this a little bit, but I'd love to talk about it a little bit further. You know, for Black people in particular, you know, the, you know, as we know, our bodily autonomy, our joy, so many things have been policed and regulated and absolutely restricted and co-opted, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in so many environments. <laughs> um, how do you feel that cultivating our sensual selves is vital to that broader quest for liberation?
2: So, um, you know, I do like to always kind of, like, I feel like I'm, I'm like the person in the, the movie where they're trying to figure out the crime and I'm like make, doing the red yarn and connecting all the dots all the time. <laughs> um, the, dot I want, the dots I want to connect here are, you know, in How We Fight White Supremacy, we have that chapter on love. And we talk a lot about the fact that this system is set up to teach us. That we are not lovable, that we shouldn't love ourselves. Who are we (laughs) to love ourselves when whiteness doesn't love us, when there's nothing that we can ever do that will let us into that system? We are not the chosen few who've been let into that, and we won't be. And I don't want to be, but that's another issue. Um, But who are we, right? To find joy in who we are and to connect with that and to love ourselves and, oh, God, who are we to love other people? Mm -hmm.
1: And 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 to reframe our sexuality for ourselves even, right? Yeah,
2: to not, you know, allow ourselves to be reduced to hearts, right, that are used to create more workers, to not, you know, only see ourselves in women who are trotted out, you know, in a circus as being some abnormality because of the shape of our bodies. And so with the show, for me, it's really about taking the time to reframe that, to not be influenced by what the world wants to tell us about ourselves and our ability to love and who we are, you know, both in the sheets and out of the sheets. That. The joy and the pleasure that comes from loving ourselves and from loving other people is valid and not just valid. It feels good and not just that it feels good, but that it's a part of us getting free. And so that's what we do every week. We try to get free. Yes, That is amazing. (laughs) And I completely agree with everything you said. I've often
0: argued that Black love is a revolutionary act mm-hmm. in and of itself. Uh-huh. Every day that you choose to love someone else or to love yourself as a Black person in this country is basically going against the programming that we've been conditioned, that right. they've tried to condition us to have, the mm-hmm. self-hate. It's going against our original purpose while we were brought to this country, which was basically to serve others and not serve ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I...
1: I like, I like that so much. That serving, that serving ourselves. That's that's sexy. That's sexy. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: I like it. <laughs> <laughs> but to get back to the writing for a moment, as much as I love talking about the Black Lives, I mean. Um, <laughs> but since our focus is on Black writers, it feels like we're asking a variation of this question of almost every writer we've interviewed who published in 2020. But given the events of the year, it's somewhat inevitable. So Words of Change was published in late July, while we were still seeing protests for racial justice around the country and ramping up to a still contentious election. Another phenomenon we saw during that time was a clamoring for books on racial justice and anti-racism, which you and your publishers could not have anticipated. With those reinvigorated (laughs) conversations in mind, and as we approach a new year, is there a particular way you hope readers engage with
2: and use your book? Yeah, um, <laughs> it's been a hell of a year. So this book was originally supposed to come out in December. Um, and so the publishers moved it up to July in order to help meet the need. Um, and that's that's always It's tough doing this kind of work, right? And writing these kind of books. Like, you, I would love nothing more than to wake up and have like this word not be in our vocabulary, have it be no need to teach our kids about racism and how to be anti racist and to teach our kids about how to handle, you know, it both at the inter, you know, personal and the structural level. And so, like, this has been bittersweet. For me to have a book and then have it be needed, I mm-hmm. really would rather that it had just been a resource that folks could have or something pretty that you can put on your coffee table and use it when you needed it <laughs> as opposed to it being the thing right now. But I think your question is a good one. And I, you know, I think that the first thing folks need to know is that, sure, reading is great, right? It's lit. That's why we're here. Um, yes. It's what we love to do. But it's not enough. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's been dope to see folks going out and buying these books, or going online and buying these books, and hopefully supporting Black bookstores, and hopefully reading them. Well, and that's the thing, right? So <laughs> then it's like, all right, you bought it. Did you read it? Right. Did you take some notes <laughs> you, in the margins? Did you did you flip open <laughs> some pages? Did you share some shit? Um, <laughs> but then I'm like, also, what are you doing? Right. So like. By the time you finished it, had you figured out what you were going to do to fight? Like, then you have to sit with that question. What am I doing? How am I being actively anti-racist? How am I working to dismantle the system of white supremacy rather than just buying this book or and maybe cracking it open? And so that can look a lot of ways, right? Like, it could look like using the words, um, there's a quote from this writer um, and a witch, who I adore, um, named Halen Belay, who's in the book. And she wrote, um, I pulled a quote actually from an essay that she wrote for How We Fight. And it says, they tell me black bodies are worthless. I tell them that this black body is sacred. So like, maybe that looks like somebody using that as a jumping off point for them to go work with an organization that serves black LGBTQIA teens, right? Helping them to feel good in their bodies and to shore up and to be safe and to, to love on themselves. Or it could mean that people are taking inspiration from all these organizers and activists who we're learning about this year around prison, industrial complex abolition. Maybe you decided that that's the fight that you want to fight. Well, what you doing about it? Not just tweeting about it, but what are you doing about it? Are you sending your money to Black-led organizations who've been doing this work for literal decades to help advance that movement? So what are you doing? Is What I ask, and I can't tell folks what to do. I can't tell them how to get there. But my hope is that when they read my books and when they read the books of so many of the other wonderful folks that y'all have been able to have on the show, that they're able to figure out what their mode of resistance is, what they're going to do to help us to dismantle the system that seeks to kill us.
0: You got to do something. And speaking of doing something, (laughs) I have a question, a final question for you. What's next? What are you What are you doing next? What's the next book? What are you working on? What's coming up? Girl, You're all up in your business. Look at us. Um,
2: <laughs> so I'm I'm steadily recording the podcast, and I'm also writing a new book. It's right now. It's called Complex Saviors, and it examines the ways that racism attempts to kill Black women and the ways that we save ourselves. Mm. <laughs> Yeah,
1: i'm like could you inject it in my veins i know <laughs> like, now <laughs> that, that sounds quite profound
0: i know i was like i need a t-shirt i need a podcast i need an elixir <laughs> i feel like i've been saving myself from racism for a long long listen long... and
1: unfortunately it might be a long time yet <laughs> exactly.
2: and that's the thing it is it is a book that is both exhilarating to write because i keep Getting the opportunity to be in conversation with amazing black women, doulas, doctors, nurse practitioners, women who have literally advocated to save their lives and the lives of their children. I get to have these amazing conversations, but often spend a lot of my time in those conversations crying. Mm -hmm. And you know how hard that is as a journalist? Like, I'm muting myself, right? I don't want (laughs) to impact the person who I'm talking to, but it's the things that we have to go through in order to keep ourselves alive in a system that wishes us dead the contortions are amazing and we shouldn't have to do that but it's important to me to not only you know look at the way that racism got us fucked up but also look at the ways that we're 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 fighting back and we're not depending on other people to do it for us and none of that is new (laughs) it's what we've always done (laughs) and I am so glad that I have the opportunity to bring all those voices together into one place Oh,
1: we're so we can't wait to read that. Yeah. I mean, and we're so glad to have your voice here with us today. That, that just and what a good podcast voice you have.
2: Thank you.
0: <laughs> I was like, Ooh. so this was just an amazing discussion. Thank you so much, Kinria, for joining us today. We loved every minute of it. Absolutely. We're going to love not
2: just you, we love you. Yeah, and, and I we love y'all. our
0: Podcast. I love you, Mahisha. I love you. And <laughs> <laughs> we're going to Danielle. love ourselves. Yes, that's right. <laughs> As been all day, do.
2: every day, each and every one. <laughs> <laughs> this was awesome. Thank y'all so much. I had a ball.
1: Root Presents It's Lit is produced by myself, Myesha Kai, and Michaela Heck. Our sound engineer is Ryan Allen.
0: If you like the show and want to help us out, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. And if you have any thoughts or feedback, you can find me on Twitter at Black Snob or on Instagram at Belton Danielle.
1: And you can find me at Myesha on Twitter. That's M-A-I-Y-S-H-A. And at Myesha Kai on Instagram.
0: And before we go, we always like to talk a little bit about what we're currently reading. Maisha, what are you getting into these days? Well, I'm getting into something I
1: think a lot of people are getting into these days, which is The Prophets by Robert Jones Jr. This is a very buzzed about book. And uh, I'm just cracking into it. You know, it's it's interesting because we hear this sometimes from people who are like, you know, I don't want to hear any more slave stories. I don't want to, you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, revisit this really pivotal and important chapter in African-American history. I'm just going to leave that right there. Uh, Mm. But yeah, this takes a different approach to that. I haven't gotten as far as I'd like to, so I don't want to give it... And I also don't want to give any spoilers. It just came out. uh, But I think this is going to be a book a lot of people are talking about uh, as as it kind of explores the intersection between race and uh, the history of enslaved people and religion in America and how... Those things intertwined um, and and continue, I think, to intertwine with us as as Black people in America. What are you reading, Danielle?
0: You know, other than The Roots, hey, no. um, <laughs> like lately, <laughs> I haven't had that much time to dive into a good book. I feel so bad. What's been going, what going on? Have... Insurrection. You have. No, I know. You... Just, <laughs> <laughs> apparently The world is ending. <laughs> I, I did find time to get into the fourth season of the crown oh yeah which was quite good yeah so i highly recommend it i also highly recommend there's good stuff yeah i i don't
1: know i don't know if one should watch uh any 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 uh i don't know i, I think i think that's a good place to look right now that's it you know <laughs> let's let's just totally escape let's look America. to the past, <laughs> the 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 past. not just
0: good look, right look now away. Look, away. look away look away look <laughs> away and that is it for us this week Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, keep it lit. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time?